welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. That is the last time when he says, what shall I say about you, that I say, oh, whatever. <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> Um, my name is David Mayer, and I am a sexaholic. My sobriety date is August 2nd, 1988, and as long as I can remember that day, what it was like before that day, and what happened that day, I'll keep coming back, and I'll be forever grateful. I'm never sufficiently grateful, as you know, said. I also am married to uh, Jane M., so it was a nice uh, coincidence that we got to speak together today. And just before uh, she started, a gentleman came over to me and said, did you speak in Chicago with your wife a few years ago? And I said, yeah, we were there. She said, boy, she was really good. Is she here today? Is she the one talking? <laughs> and then, where are you sitting, Jane? I lost you. There you are. I'm wow. I cry a lot. It takes what it takes, you know. And yet, uh, I know that. There was a check meeting just before lunch, and I just sat there uh, saying that to my wife. Well, I said the serenity prayer, and I said that to myself. It takes what it takes. And then to listen to your story. Um, and and to know that um, that everything that happened in my life or your life or anyone here's in this life uh, is exactly what it took to get me anywhere where I'm supposed to be at 13 minutes before two o'clock in Oklahoma City on this day. And that is, if I weren't here, as one guy I know says, I wouldn't be where I was supposed to be. You know, I spent 35 years not being where I was supposed to be. That's one of the uh, hallmarks of sobriety, I was told, and it's certainly been my experience. Being where I said I'd be at the time I said I'd be there. Being where I was supposed to be that I can actually tell other people about later. So I'm glad I'm where I'm supposed to be, and I'm glad I'm with you. And as I look around the room, I, I shared this with some people in my row, this before we started, I'm reminded of something I heard on another wonderful AA page, which is why so many sexaholics have a bald spot right here. It's because we're always going, oh my God. Oh no, I didn't. And, and where's it away? Oh well. I'd like to start with, I, I wrote something a while, last April, as a matter of fact, I wasn't asked to speak until more recently than that, but I wrote this last April, and um, 
Sylvia asked me what my topic would be when she called, and I said, well, this is what I said. I'll read it to you first. I can hear my sponsor's voice passing on the words from his sponsor and his sponsor's sponsor. Things get worse. It gets better. I do not have to wonder anymore what it is. For me today, it means life, serenity, acceptance, living without expectations, finding the power to be useful, and to carry out God's will for me. When I came to Sexaholics Anonymous a little over eight years ago, I had none of those things. Things were getting pretty bad in my life and my family and my work. And I was getting ready for a change. My sponsor's uh, greeting words to me when I got here were on the subject of surrender and change. And he said, you know, that's what surrender is. It's change. That's what making an amends is. It's change. And you know, that little boy who stopped growing emotionally when he was about four and a half years old because of the variety of things that happened in my household didn't think much of change. I don't know that he thought much at all. Oh, that's not true. He thought constantly, but I don't, I don't, you know, it was all fantasy. I can date my disease continuously from age five to 42 because I was in one extended fantasy the entire time. My primary fantasy that I used back out with myself began when I was 11 years old and continued until I was 42. I'm kind of a dull sexaholic, actually. That's not my wife's opinion, I might hasten to add. So that little kid, I, I, he stopped growing. I, I had a wonderful uh, experience happen um, about four months ago now. My sponsor, in his uh, usual gentle way, said, um, you're to stop having contact with people in your profession without my prior permission. Since I had been whining to him, and it was either that or not telling him anything more, I, I did that. I, even just saying it to you gives me a sense of freedom that I didn't even know was conceivable. And I didn't know it was a problem. But I didn't know that masturbation, that having affairs, that all the other things I did. In fact, has anybody else noticed that this is Boyer's Paradise here, this motel? Amazing place. I did all those things, and I didn't know it was a problem. And I didn't know that having contact with people in my profession was a problem, that I initiate. And, um, and I discovered that by surrendering that, things began to change. And one of the most powerful things to begin to change was I realized that I had a little over eight years in this program and that I had stopped growing emotionally when I was five. So eight plus five is 13. And 13 was the age at which I made my decision to go in to a profession that I dearly loved. I went into it drunk. I loved it. I still love it. But it was killing me. 
and it gave a new depth to that statement. Uh, my best friend turned on me. At first, I thought it was, you know, the acting out and the love. That's what it turned on me, and it had. It was going to kill me. And then, you know, if we keep on surrendering, keep on changing, there's more and more that has to be surrendered and let go. It's not because my sponsor says it or anyone here says it or the program says it or Bill W. said it or anything. It's, it's just because that's the path I'm on. That's who I am. And that's what I have to do if I want to live today. If I want that list of things that are it getting better. Uh, the life, the serenity, the acceptance, the living without expectations. And I want that today. And it does get better. I had a great reading picked out. Now, this is my roommate, by the way, last night. Half of you heard this, half didn't. Um, um, one of our speakers last night talked about how wonderful it was that the scouts could pass on what they had learned about recovery from sexual addiction to the intermediate people with intermediate sexual, um, sexual sobriety. And uh, so we heard that. And afterwards, my roommate said to me, well, I guess you're one of those people with intermittent sobriety. <laughs> my sponsor has said exactly the same thing from time to time. So this was not unheard of. My same roommate, when I asked him, I said, I've got this great reading. Can I read it to you? It was from 12 and 12. It was on freedom, spirit. Great reading. It's on page 36 if you ever want to hear it. <laughs> and he listened to it, and he said, you know, that, that's, that's great. And then he said, wouldn't the 11-step prayer be really great, too? And um, that's what surrender means for me today. Be willing to let go, which is this, and to be willing to change, which is to go a new direction. And my response to him is my response to you as I stand here, which is, oh, the 11-step prayer, I know it by heart. I don't have to read it. I'm really pleased it's in the program. That's great. I didn't know it was in there. The same roommate told me it was in there. But, uh, but I do know it by heart. I said the problem with the 11-step prayer is that if I share that with you, then I'm really sharing from my heart. And that's pretty scary. I like, I can use the words. I, I practiced that a long time. Um, you know the opening to that prayer? Many of you do. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace. And I've had that image many times of a channel like like in a bog somewhere that had filled in. Only it was inside me. Uh, there's a family history of heart disease, so I can immediately, of course, go negative and think about my little channels around my heart. That's not the spiritual channel that the prayer is talking about. It's, it's that spiritual bog that wants to hold on to the past, that always wants to grab on to everything that's coming down through the water. And bogs purify a lot of things, so it's not the worst of all images. But I'm someone who at this point needs to be flushed clean, and and I need to live a life of that sort. And Lord, make me a channel of thy peace. That where there is hatred, I may bring love. 
I always appreciate that St. Francis started off with the hardest purge. That where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. And I think these are in some sort of order. I am going to read it because I'm scared. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there is shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I seek rather to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. And this one, to comfort than to be comforted. For it's by self-forgetting that one finds, by forgiving that one is forgiven. It's by dying that one awakens to eternal life. I've had to go through so many changes in this program, not the least of which was my theology. I came in an atheist. I really identify with those portions of A.A. Big Book in 12 and 12. I was a little relieved in the section on the second step to read that, first of all, it wasn't that hard. The vice president of the American Atheist Association, Bill says, made it. Secondly, the hoop's pretty big, he says. But I was really relieved to learn that it really does mean God as I understand God today. That's all that was ever asked of me. I, I didn't understand that, of course. But that last um, line in the seventh, eleventh prayer, eleventh step prayer, St. Francis prayer, it's by dying that I awaken to eternal life. I had trouble with that. I mean, that my theology, I thought, how am I going to integrate that? Fortunately, at that point in my sobriety and recovery, I knew I wanted that prayer very badly. I, I memorized it. I was using it through the hardest. My, my hard times in, in recovery have all come after about four and a half years sobriety. It, it really, everything could hit the fan did. And, um, and the 11th step prayer is literally what walked me through it. I just had that image of the channel. I had that image of loving people and where they with hatred. I had that image of forgiveness, I had that image of, you know, where there's discord, I may bring harmony, and, and all I can say is I, I held on to that prayer as tight as I held on to anything. Program, my sponsor of the prayer, that was it. It was spiritually a sufficient diet, eager, but sufficient. And so it, it became real important to me, and there was that last line. And as I've walked along this path of recovery, uh, I guess what's been given to me, and I just heard it again in, in what things said, is that all that's asked of me in the way of dying is to let go, to surrender. That I don't have to try to run the show anymore. Not yours, not mine, not my wife's, not my kids, not anybody. And that dying and awakening to eternal life is learning how to live with the one person in the world with whom it's the hardest for me to live. And that's that little kid that decided the whole world had abandoned him and he was going off on his own. I literally went off. I, I was renowned as a kid for my walks in the wilderness and I guess I must have exuded confidence because they just said, come back when you're hungry. That's not literally true, but I did do a lot of that going away. And um, I checked out. I remember when I first shared that with a therapist. I'd been sober about 
oh, three months, and and I uh, I realized, I said, oh my God, all those walks in the woods, I was running away from home. I didn't know that. It's like this whole program. I didn't know it. I didn't know the problem. But it was killing me. And the prayer gave me a way back, and that last line gives me a way to something that can never leave me if I'm willing to stay with it. And in terms of things get worse, it gets better. I guess that's what resonates with me to this moment. And that is, I can stay in this present moment where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's all that my higher power, my God, ever asked of me. And that will, in fact, be it. And that, by definition, is eternal. I like that prayer. Well, I just want to share two other things, and then I'll um, talk about it getting better. I wouldn't say things always get worse. You know, that's not the way the world works. There have been some dramatic changes in my professional life, in my work life, in our family life, and every one of them has been for the better. Not that I thought so when they were happening. But, you know, you go to meetings, and some of you have had this experience. I'm sure some of you haven't. Uh, you sit down, and you've you got to get the right fit. You kind of you sit like this. You know, things are tough. Right? And then uh, it's time to share. My name is David. I'm a sexaholic. So I need to cast out that, and you, and you put all that stuff out, and uh, they laugh. <laughs> they laugh really hard. As a matter of fact, we were laughing at you, you know? And I was just reading this in, in the AA Big Book, you know, and Bill says, you know, it can look pretty rude to an outsider to hear the things we laugh at. I mean, think of what we laughed at, you know, a minute ago. And yet he said, we have been saved. We have been given a new life. We have the right to laugh. And, you know, I need to be laughed at a lot. Um, so anyway, that's um, where I am. And, and the things that, two other things I said I wanted to share, and then I'll shut up. Uh, I'm aware of the time. That's why I'm stumbling up here. One is, I, I do tapestry. Um, the reason I, it's upside down. Yeah, there we go. The reason I do tapestry, uh, is because I, uh, found about after a year or so in, uh, recovery in SA meetings that I could not stop scanning crotches. And I could not, uh, stop scanning, uh, people's uh, inventories as they spoke. And I needed something to, um, help me. And, uh, I had begun recovery uh, writing gratitude lists during the meeting, and that was real helpful. Uh, and I had to just ignore, Roy's injunction is good about not writing during meetings, but for me, it was a lifesaver. I, those gratitude lists are the reason I stayed. And um, But I needed something else, because I, I now do my gratitude list in the morning, and and so I started this. Well, I started off doing backgrounds. I, we had chair seats that needed doing at home, and and the centers would all be filled in, and then you just do the backgrounds. And it's wonderful, repetitive stitching. Someone told me at lunch he used to take comfort in just watching me go over and over. But I told him it was a real gift because I'd always worried it bothered people. Sometimes it does, of course, and, and I respect that too. But anyway, I finished all of those about two years ago. And my sister-in-law gave me this, uh, which she had, it was blank, except for one little piece up here that she had started and had done it wrong. So... <laughs> uh, 
that's not funny. She had. That's why she gave it to me. But anyway, so I'm doing the center. Now, this is all new to me, the center, right? And the back is not very neat, which, you know, needlework people think that's important, but it's not. It's a mess. And and there's some knots I'm not working on right and all that. But but I keep making progress on it, and I use it for the same purpose at meetings to this day. And um, Thursday night, the night before I came out, I was rummaging in the bag because the last time I had worked on it, I wanted to move on to another color that just had a little bit left, and I didn't have any more. And so I rummaged in the bag, and I found, finally, um, I found four colors that I didn't have in my uh, pool. And then I had a bunch of colors that I didn't need yet, the background, particularly, so I put them in the back of the bag. And as I did that, I thought, that's what this writing recovery is like today. That's what it getting better means to me today is that there are all these different colors. And every one of them is needed for the design. They're critical. And I have to I have to put the colors in the right places for it to work. And then as I came here to this meeting with that thought in mind, I realized that I'm also at a point where I'm starting to fill in and get get some of the areas to be solid instead of having the colors to be. And that that's where my recovery is today, too that I'm filling in things. And some of the colors aren't very interesting, but they're essential to the pattern. And some of the colors are really brilliant and vibrant and interesting, and those are essential to the pattern. And what is essential overall is everything. And that was pretty neat fun. And then I looked at it and I thought, oh my God, this is my life. When I take the last stitch, I'm going to die. <laughs> And then I did laugh. I thought, what an ego. I'm working on a silly piece of needlework, and I think that my life is in this. And that's where my recovery is today, that I still get distracted by this ego, and I still get opportunities to surrender. And I am given every day an opportunity to laugh and to just do the next stitch in the next right color. The very last thing I'd like to share is uh, my wife is in Ethanon for many years, and we go to couples meetings in Portland. She's not active in Ethanon program itself out there. But the last thing she said to me is I walked out the door, and I haven't been able to reach her, so still the last thing she said before I came here is, please say hi to all of my Ethanon friends. And that was a real gift. I think she meant it in the spirit it was offered. Say hi to my ethanol friends. But I heard it as an affirmation that they did. The woman who's put up with sheer help in me, because I may not have been, I may have been a dull sexaholic, but, but I was one who caused, you know, the same amount of pain as any of us caused, and maybe more, I don't know. Uh, that that woman that was not only still in this program with me, I was willing to send me off, too, with one of the greatest gifts she could give me, which is a message and an affirmation that um, that we are in this recovery process together. When I arrived, I didn't have a wedding ring. Um, it vanished a few weeks, about a week ago. I, I often have to put my ring on my little finger because my fingers swell, and, and so I move it on, then my fingers change, and it falls off. And I was disappointed. 
And I remember when I'd been sober about three weeks, I flew across the country to a family reunion and I bought a hot metal wedding ring in O'Hare Airport in the, one of the sundry stores there for $5.75. And that was my wedding ring for three years. I thought it was all I deserved. The gold wore off in about two weeks. Uh, and I had a pot metal ring for three years. It was, uh, it was good. It's what I needed. Well, I picked up my pants this morning and uh, put them on and the ring fell out in the pocket. She gave me this. I tend to lose them um, in strange places. and um, But I used to take them off and hide them, so losing them is an improvement. <laughs> And she gave me this, and uh, in addition to her words, that was just, I think God reminded me that uh, God's in charge. But all I have to do is keep surrendering, keep changing, keep coming back, and show up where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to do that. And as I said at the beginning, uh, it's here, it's now, and I'm never a great. Thank you. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.